I want to tell you about a new partner of the Red Hand, Andy Willis Strength and Conditioning. Rugby, even at an amateur level, has never been more competitive. If you're serious about feeling fitter, stronger, and gaining confidence in your body again while playing, then this could be your opportunity. Andy Willis is a rugby strength and conditioning coach, providing a first-class online strength and conditioning service for athletes. Andy provides his athletes with clarity, support, personalized performance programs, and sports injury rehabilitation. Andy would like to offer listeners who are serious about leveling up their game a consultation call to discuss their goals and how strength and conditioning could help you level up. Find Andy on Instagram at andywillis underscore sc for more information. The Red Hand is proudly partnered with Shredded Juice Bar, a fantastic local business based on Belfast's bustling Lisburn Road. Shredded Juice Bar stocks a range of fresh, healthy, wholesome and delicious foods and drinks. Fresh juices, smoothies, acai bowls, protein pots, overnight oats, protein balls, salads and wraps. You can tailor our menu to your needs. Everything is served just the way you like it. We're all about feel-good food. Come and give us a try. We know you'll love it. We're open seven days a week. That shredded juice bar on the Lisburn Road in Belfast. We look forward to seeing you soon. Okay, so welcome to the Red Hand Podcast. Many of you will know my guest today. Ian McKinley was an international out half who played rugby at the top level in Ireland and then Italy. His path hasn't been straightforward, however. His story is among the most inspiring I've ever heard, and I'm lucky to be speaking to Ian just ahead of the launch of his book, Second Sight, which comes out this week. I can't wait to read the book. I'm aware of large parts of Ian's story as I've followed his remarkable career since becoming aware of his resilience and determination he's shown, inspiring so many along the way after a transformative event uh, just at the outset of his career. The themes never give up, always push forward despite being told that certain things are not possible or central to Ian's story. But I'm not give away any spoilers. Uh, Ian, welcome. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for that intro. <laughs> My head has grown bigger. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, Ian, I've listened to various things that you've been on, the documentary and uh, podcasts and things like that. And you're a humble guy, so I need to big you up. And uh, oh, it, it certainly is. An inspiring story. And again, after years of living in Italy, the lovely food and weather, you've made the excellent decision to come back and live in Northern Ireland. So tell us about that decision to come back and what you're up to now. Yeah, so my wife is, well, I'm originally you know, born in, in Dublin, and um, but my wife is from Northern Ireland. Um, so we lived in Italy for nearly a decade. And COVID hit and we were living in in the middle of of that pandemic over there. And uh, I think, you know, I unfortunately was out of contract with uh, with the team that I was playing with Benetton. And, you know, we sort of looked at well, I looked at, you know, different clubs and different opportunities. And it just, I don't know, didn't seem much of a, a fit, to be honest, in 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 my mind. And um sort of a few other things have, have happened and we became parents and I think uh, the decision to to come back was uh, very much uh, driven by that to stay close to uh, certainly my, my wife's family and 
uh, and then I'm you know I'm only a couple of hours uh, up up the road or down the road, whichever way you look at it, from uh, from Dublin with my folks. So it was sort of uh, uh, that would would have played a big part in uh, in our decision. So yeah, it's uh, certainly a little bit colder, uh, a little bit <laughs> more rain from time to time, but no, we're. Uh, We've settled in, and uh, but it's taken a little time to adapt just with COVID and everything. Everything been closed when you come back. It's sort of hard to meet people. So at least that side of things is, has become a lot easier. Thank goodness. I know. I know. So it's uh, it's been a big period of transition for you in particular, having having moved cultures again up to up to Northern Ireland. But uh, I'm glad you're enjoying it and you're you're closer to family and things like that here. And like we talked just before recording about your book and about the process of writing a book. I'm fascinated, what, what's that process like? And what, what actually helped you make that decision to put your remarkable story in the written form? Uh, I think, you know, it's a story maybe that you don't necessarily need to know a lot about rugby to to follow. And um, I think just sharing the story that if someone is going through similar difficulties that maybe I had, uh, I think it's important to... You know, to to put that down on 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 a piece of paper, or you know, it's it's even gone on a few of the the platforms, sort of Netflix and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I, I just think the 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 core element of the story, which is sort of helping people and having good people around you, is sort of so important. And uh, particularly whenever people, you know, the buzzwords of mental health and everything like that, which has become so apparent and to the fore, and certainly in the last decade, um, it sort of taps into that, obviously, a, a huge amount. And, you know, actually doing the book was a good healing process uh, for myself, if, if I'm to be honest. And, um, you know, I just want want to share the story. And if, if someone gets a bit of inspiration from that or picks up something, you know, then I'm I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah, well, well they say it's uh, a great way to work through sort of Grief, trauma, things like that. Um, write, writing it down. So I'm glad that process has been sort of cathartic for you, and I'm sure you, you learn quite a lot writing it, writing a book as well. So, um, I, I, I want to go sort of back to the beginning, and one of the things that's really evident from talking to you, hearing 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 you talk in, in various capacities, is that you have a real passion for rugby. Uh, it's probably not surprising, but I've spoken to lots of players, and it's a job to them. But you, you have a, a passion. Uh, which stems from a very early age. And, and to be honest, I think I relate in some ways uh, growing up as the youngest sibling in your family uh, and, and sort of being out in the back garden. Tell us about those early years growing up in the back garden, practicing all sorts of sports, but with a big dream to play for Ireland. Tell us a wee bit more about that time. Yeah, I think it's sport in general. I'm just, I mean, I just I love sport, you know, any any team sport really. Uh, but rugby certainly captured my imagination when I was a kid. And um, as you said, you know, being the the youngest, I think there's nearly, there's a, a nine year gap between myself and my next brother. So with that can come uh, good and bad things, as you can, you can imagine, you know, you're, um, but um you know, so I, I wouldn't have had necessarily many siblings to chuck a ball around with on a regular basis as then as they were going through the, their different stages of life, they were growing up and, and everything. So I certainly found myself uh, sort of my downtime uh, from school was just literally in the garden uh, on my own. And um, we, we were lucky that we had a nice size garden that was able to kick a ball around. So you'd either 
see me with a football, a golf club, a tennis racket, uh, a Gaelic football, whatever. It was just in the garden and just mixing it with everything. But yeah, I would. <laughs> I don't think mum would be particularly happy with me because I'd come in and out of the garden with, you know, um, you know, you go upstairs to find maybe oversized rugby clothes that you had that were maybe hand-me-downs from my my siblings and put them on, run out the back, uh, the back door to pretend to you know, that that was the tunnel, you'd sing the anthems, you'd meet the president, and then you'd come back in for your halftime refreshments, but it could have been lashing rain and, you know, you carry with a bit of a bit of mud uh, in, into the kitchen at the same time. But um, no, very, very fond memories growing up. And that's sort of just, uh, I just couldn't wait to start school, really like secondary school to start playing with a, with a team. Um, and that's sort of when I started playing first was when I was 12 years old. Yeah. And, and, I said I relate to you in terms of being the youngest and have uh, siblings a good bit older than me and, and being out and, and dreaming of playing for Ireland. But that's where our path diverged a bit because you had talent <laughs> and uh, you you obviously <laughs> you obviously <Sort> of. <laughs> eventually <laughs> was all that practice in the back garden by yourself and uh, like in terms of um, you you got onto that path uh, to achieve that ambition from a fairly young age uh, and. You went, obviously, from playing at school in the Leinster Academy, Ireland under-20s, Leinster senior team. Tell us a, a bit about when you realised that you were going to be in that tiny group of people who play rugby. You actually had the potential to play at the top level. Do you know, Did you always have that level of self-belief that you'd maybe one day make it to the top level? It sort of all uh, happened very quickly, if I'm to be honest. So um, you, I think my... My siblings and my, my parents would tell you, you know, from an, an early age, they would have seen that you were, you know, that you had a good gift or you were, you know, your good hand-eye coordination, you were able to kick a ball accurately or pass a ball accurately. So they sort of knew that, um, you know, that I had, I had a good talent. So it was, I suppose, not trying to force that too much or, or, or anything like that. The school that I went to was not a massive, you know, rugby playing school we we played uh rugby but uh, you know we had 300 pupils and that was half split half boys half girls so you know in our three senior years we would have had certainly in my uh, sixth year my last year of school we had about 25 players you know so trying to uh, trying to scrape together uh, you know a, a team was fairly was probably the main objective um of that so it was lucky that the, the team we actually had we had uh, some really good players and we um sort of propelled ourselves playing up against some of the bigger schools which had, hadn't happened in many many years and I don't know just um I just got breaks and just my performance levels were uh, really good and any sort of little trial things that I was partaking in or played at I just seemed to sort of elevate the level each time and I obviously impressed um the selectors for the academy and uh, and Leinster. I went straight from uh, my leaving certs of the last exam uh, here in or you know down in in Dublin and um, to the next day um, training with Leinster basically. So with the academy, so it was certainly uh, pretty different going from playing with your mates and chucking a ball around and maybe having a bit of a laugh to then going up against you know world class players like Contaponi, Darcy, O'Driscoll, Rocky Elson, these sort of guys that you would then all of a sudden, you know, be be lining up against um, as, as maybe some tackling practice, which is not ideal. 
But um, no, it was exactly where I wanted to be. And I was very clear in my mind as to how to get there and what I needed to do. And, um, you know, you certainly learn a lot when you're when you're 18, 19. You're just trying to be a sponge as much as you can just to pick up information off the other other players. Yeah. And what an environment to come into that Leinster team, which is sort of coming into I mean, I was going to say it's prime. It hasn't really let up in terms of quality over the last number of years, unfortunately, for, for Ulster. But um, so you, you're in there with Sex and Contapumi, uh, uh, Sean O'Brien, Elson Nasewa. What was that environment like stepping into that? I mean, it must have, it must have been um, a bit of a pressure cooker and of, of sort of very high standards and things like that. Or uh, were there any guys who, who sort of put their armour on your shoulder? Or is it not really like that? Um but it was a really exciting time because you had Michael Checa, obviously. I mean, he's the guy that really turned Leinster around. Uh, I know Joe Schmidt, when he came in, he elevated Leinster to a completely different level. But I think Leinster, you know, were always living in the shadow of Munster um, for many years. And, and Checa, I think, really turned that around. And there were some tough days for Leinster, you know, some some fair beatings. If you think of the semi-final, I think it was in 2006, and the Heineken Cup, um, you know, losing by 30-odd points to Munster and stuff like that, but managed to turn around. So, no, I would say it was very exciting, and you could see that things were were really progressing. I mean, it was funny because we we rented out, or Leinster rented out, um, sort of porta cabins out the back of one of the main gyms in, in Dublin, so there was no sort of training center. So you sort of think whenever you're part of a, a 2009 uh, uh, Heineken Cup winning team, but you're still, you know, training out of a porta cabin and using the university pitches and stuff like that. It's kind of sort of funny to to think about, but it's um, it's just elevated so much now. And, and as you said, they, they've showed no signs of letting up and what they've created is... Uh, incredible so to be able to to have been a part of that team um you know not as on a, maybe a regular basis as I would have liked due to the injury which I'm sure will you know touch upon but um to be able to have been there for three years um you know between 18 and 21 was uh was amazing and trying to as I said you're you're training day in day out with with the best rugby players in the world yeah, and you mentioned the big names, but I suppose your sort of peer group coming through the, the under-20s and at Leinster, you had Rhys Roddick, uh, Jack mm-hmm. McGrath, and, and there was Ian Madigan was there as well, and he's sort of a, in direct competition, and look, we've embraced him in Ulster, he's, he's a very nice guy, and tell us a bit more about that sort of rivalry with Ian Madigan uh, whenever you were, you were both sort of starting out. Yeah, I've known Ian for a very long time. We played Gaelic football together from when we were nine. Uh, so one of my early sort of sporting memories would have been with him. Uh, been picked up in the car on the way to to uh, play a game. So we know each other very well. And yeah, obviously when you're in competition, you know it is. It's hard to be best friends with someone. Um, you're vying for exactly the same thing. You're doing. You know, you're you're looking for different uh, ways to try and improve yourself, or different methods, and trying to get one up uh, over obviously your your competitor. So, you know, I would have hoped that it, it sort of brought out the 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 best of us uh, in the period that we were there, and we had a good old battle in the Irish under twenties for that number ten jersey, and it sort of swung one way during the Six Nations, another way to a World Cup, and then um, obviously a 
you know, there was a fair amount at uh, Leinster, you know, when I mean, you throw Johnny, who's, I think he's quite good. Um, <laughs> Decent you know, player. I think, throw, I think he'll do okay, won't he? He, I think, he, yeah, he, he'll do He'll do just about all right. <laughs> you, you throw him in there, you throw, I think, you know, Eason Athewa could have played there. Sean Byrne, like, I mean, there's a pretty high pedigree of, of player that can step up at any time and, um, you know, it was just a good environment, good competitive in, environment. And uh, as I said, I would have hoped that it would have brought out the best in us. And listen, he still, I mean, played the other night. I know he came off at, at halftime, but you can see his little touches of class. I mean, you're not going to, you're not going to lose that. And I, you know, I think he's obviously, he's a very, very good player. Yeah. And so we, you've said the scene pretty well there as, and, and again, look to, to listeners in uh, humble guy and like everyone I've spoken to uh, peers of yours at the time w- would put you right up there as being an incredibly talented player who was definitely on the path to for an international career and despite the, the competition at Leinster was you know you're, you're already there and thereabouts sort of getting into the team and um, look it's inevitable we have to talk about the, the transformative um, career changing uh, injury uh, that you had uh, your career was nearly over before it fully began. And uh, this this podcast, I suppose, and this story is is relevant to both rugby fans who'll be aware of this, but uh, also to non rugby fans who, who may not be as aware of the details. So, like, I know you, you've probably rehearsed this a number of times with with, with various uh, outlets and, and documentaries. But for those who haven't heard before what happened, could you talk us through? that life-changing injury and the aftermath uh, when you received a, a devastating injury to your eye. Yeah. So as you said, it was on, everything was going in the right direction. So it was on the the right path uh, to everything. I, you know, played my first game, uh, started my first game for Leinster when I was 19. And um, and that would have been a few months of being out of school and, and, and everything like that. So um you know, as I think a captain, one of the Irish under twenties games for our, our, our World Cup cycle and everything. So things were going well. And if you didn't play for uh, Leinster, you are, you know, um, signed up to a, a club um, and particularly with the younger players who are trying to break through. Um, you know, if you didn't play for the senior team, then you'd, you'd play for your club. So I was playing with my university and we were playing a top of the table league clash at home and I was at the bottom of a rook, which, you know, just grappling for uh, two teams, grappling for possession. And I was on my back with one of the opponents, went for a big rip of the ball, found myself on my back and a teammate, um, which I found out later, but at the time just felt this almighty thud. Uh, like a really bad whack to my head and uh, it just so happened that it was just straight into my my face and my uh, my left eye in particular the stud um he was a forward so his studs are uh, a little bit longer to try and give him traction in the scrum and that stud metal stud went into my left eye and just it, it burst um which obviously I didn't know at the time but the the vision went completely black and I thought that it was a deliberate act because the you know, as a rugby player, whenever there's a direct stamp motion uh, straight down or a rocking motion, which was sort of backwards. So I was absolutely irate. I thought it was deliberate and sort of went looking for a fight and it was calmed down. And um, the UCD doctors 
were brilliant and they just i think saw <laughs> not a pretty sight because your eye i won't say it was completely out but it was it was certainly not in the position that it it, it should have been it shifted and uh, was rushed to hospital thankfully my you know a few of my family members were there and uh went for a scan first to a particular hospital just to see if my eye socket was broken which thankfully it wasn't but uh, I knew that it was quite sort of serious because people were in the A&E literally stopping and looking at me. Uh, so they could obviously see that this eye was pretty uh, horrific. <laughs> and uh, then went to the eye, uh, the main sort of eye hospital in Dublin, which is the Royal Eye and Ear. And um, yeah, there had emergency surgery and was literally told the next day, you know, your eyeball had burst. We had to clear away a fair amount of dead matter with it and it's going to be a very very long uh road to recovery basically so that's uh that happened yeah when i was 20 years of age so life sort of a life-changing moment yeah yeah absolutely and um you're able to talk about the injury now fairly matter-of-factly and um but what you experienced was trauma traumatic yeah i think that's that's not it's definitely the appropriate word it's it's real trauma you've been through and there must have been a level of grief involved you know um, you not only lost the sight in your eye, but your identity as a rugby player, I suppose, at that stage was in doubt. And, and so much of, you know, especially for a professional athlete, so much of your identity is wrapped up in what you do. That's why you're known. And that's sort of what sets you apart from other people. So tell me a bit more about the emotions initially. You said that you went through, you talked about stages of grief, you went through that stage of anger and then. What were the other stages of emotions you went through initially and then as time went on? Yeah, I think I'm, I am pretty matter of fact. So, I mean, I don't mind being told how good or bad things are. Um, I'd much rather that so that you can at least try and work to some sort of objective. So, but I think this was so obscure um an injury that you know the doctors didn't want to give any you didn't want to give anything away of course and you know make any promises that that they couldn't keep so everything was sort of fairly tight-lipped so you know as a, as a rugby player you're always generally taught whether it's installed into you i don't know probably you know sports people not only rugby but when you're when, when you fall off the horse you want to get back on as quick as possible and you'll do everything you can so this was sort of the same thing for me but just because it was so different you know you i couldn't train uh, there was nothing i could train for it was literally um having to rest um you know making sure you're not doing any funny movements so that would have been the hugely frustrating part of it was that you couldn't work on anything else you know i'm sure if you see you know other out halves who maybe have you know a, an injured wrist or something they're still able to practice their kicking or something along the lines of that or you know watch videos i couldn't really watch things for a certain period of time because it would hurt your eye and things like that so it was it was very frustrating and um quite humbling actually because as you say you go from being this person that now by no stretch of the imagination was i a Brian O'Driscoll or anything like that, but you, um, you know, you're 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 maybe known in your inner circle rugby group, and and you, you go from sort of chest out and walking with you know great promise and um, sort of confidence, and then you're you're just brought down to your core, uh, which is very humbling, and um, you know it makes you realize really the people that are very important to you and the people that are around you that are willing to help in those critical moments but uh yeah listen i i fully know 
that what happened to me in the grand scheme of life is 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 not the worst thing that is going to happen but but to me at the time obviously it was hugely uh, upsetting and and to my family as well because they knew that that this is what I wanted to do from when I was a kid and and now something uh, really severe had happened that could compromise that yeah and it was incredible, you know, how quickly you came back to, to actually playing, considering the, the extent of that injury. You were back playing um, within a number of months. And I heard that even when you got back to playing at some level, uh, there, there was a bit of bit of uh, sight still in, in that eye. Um, but I heard that there, there were players who actually targeted your good eye whenever mm-hmm. you were playing, back playing for a club. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, I won't. I won't go into the details, um, obviously, of of who and, and 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 that sort of thing. But yeah, on on a couple of occasions, unfortunately, um, you know, I had my right eye, which is my functional one, um, uh, gouged a couple of times. Now, one was a bit more severe than the the other. Um, I think for people who might be interested in the story, will then know why as to, to why I, I chose to wear. Um, you know, and I suppose we'll get onto it, but it's it's why I chose to wear another dif- uh, form, another form of protection, basically, uh, for that reason, because um, you know you don't want to obviously be stupid, and um, you don't want to lose <laughs> complete sight. That would just be ludicrous, because <laughs> your life could be <laughs> a lot more difficult. So, yeah, that that was uh, obviously tough because the 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 one that was particularly bad was um, my third game back, uh, first one for. A new club and um yeah i just had about 50 percent vision in my left eye at that stage so you know that was improving all the time so this was uh <laughs> was not fantastic timing but um it's very hard to control the actions of of other people that he yeah it's, yeah it's, it's unbelievable you know someone did that but um like in terms of uh you're saying about you had a bit bit of vision in that eye uh 50 albeit not great but i mean i'm sure sure that helped uh but your eye your eye started to deteriorate again and um at that stage i, I know that you had a number of operations and things like that and eventually the, the moment came when when the surgeon or doctor or whoever it was told you that like, this we're not going to be able to save save a sight uh, in that eye. So yeah, tell us a, a bit about that moment uh, and the options that were in front of you. W- what were you thinking that you might do at that stage, and and, and how did that news hit you? Yeah, again, it was um, sort of a, a roller coaster of of emotions, really, because you're getting to a stage where you know you, your vision was coming back. Uh, it was never going to be what it was previously um i think that was that was a given but it had made such a remarkable recovery um in such a short space of time now whether that was because you're young or you know whether that was due to the training that you've been doing intensely for the past number of years to try get professional contracts and everything i i'm i'm not 100% sure um but yeah as you said i, I think the best i got was about 70% throughout the year and was playing professionally at that you know, at that site level. And uh, yeah, then I just developed a lot of cloudiness in the eye, which um, a cataract developed, which uh, required a few more operations and and then sort of worst case scenario, which I was always told um, you don't want anything happen, happening to your retina. So my, my retina detached, unfortunately, 
about a year and a half or so after the initial um, accident. So, um, yeah, I had, that was sort of the last operation and that was the, the, the sort of the deadly blow, as it were, and um, was told that I'm never going to regain uh, sight in that. Just the tear is so big that you, you can't do anything for it. So um, there, there I was sort of going back in hospital with dreams and aspirations of being fixed again and age 21 now at this stage, um, you know, vision completely gone and sort of needed to take time to think about what was going to happen because the preseason was starting up, uh, you know, after Leinster had just won a, a Heineken Cup in 2011. So that would have been, you know, uh, not that I was in the match day squads for two of them, but you're, you know, you're in the environment for two out of three, you know, seasons of, of that competition, which, you know, is amazing. Um, and you want more of it and you want to be a part of it, but uh, sort of I was facing that battle then of whether to uh, continue playing or not and wrote down all my options and sort of uh, good things, bad things. And ultimately, I um, took the most difficult decision that I've ever had uh, to retire at 21. Um, and that was sort of that. Yeah. Yeah. And there must have been I mean, dark moments. You're a very resilient person, but in terms of uh, the dark times that you, you you go into was that a particular dark time? And suppose after breaking the news, Joe Schmidt was a Leinster coach at the time, was it? Yeah. And you had to go and speak to him. So, I mean, was that a particular dark moment, or are you someone who? I Hello, the Red Hand listeners. This is Jonathan Moore from SS Moore Sports in Belfast. We're just opposite the front door of the City Hall onto Chester Street, where we've been since 1950. We, again, like most other years, carry a full range of the Ulster rugby product. We do hoodies, tees, polos, jackets, gilets, scarves, hats, luggage. We do adults and kids. And that can be seen in store or online at ssmsports.co.uk. Hope to see you guys soon. And don't forget, shop local. William Carlyle Coaching, helping yo-yo dieters stop living their life on a diet and achieve long-lasting fat loss results. We've helped hundreds of dieters ditch the strict, boring and bland diets whilst losing 15 pounds minimum in 90 days. This is all done with the Fit for Life Transformation Program. It's the counterintuitive approach to weight loss and will change your life forever. If you want to know more, Grab your phone or pen and paper to write down my social accounts. On Instagram, it's at William Carlyle Coaching. On Facebook, it's just William Carlyle. If you'd be interested in learning more, drop me a message and let's chat. Who's never, not never, get, gets down about things, but... Uh, are, are you the sort of person who uh, you just move from one upset to the next or, or, or how did you feel in that period? Uh, yeah, well, deeply upset and probably didn't really hit me. Um, to be honest, I think that all that sort of stuff, um, that sort of grief period, you know, with the different stages, it, it, it didn't hit, hit me until a lot later on uh, in life. So um, my sort of, mantra was just keep working as much as possible so that I don't think about it. So it was literally trying to get involved with as many coaching teams as possible and 
to try and get into coaching because if I couldn't be a good rugby player, I wanted to be a good rugby coach. And um, so that was sort of my my motto was just to keep working so that I didn't have to think about it. But of course, I mean, you had really dark days and nights and, um, you know, incidents that I'm certainly not proud of. Uh, you go on a drinking spree thinking that, you know, that's going to help you. It does absolutely nothing, just makes you worse. And, you know, so I've been sort of through that, uh, not in an extreme way, but, you know, experienced it maybe on the outskirts. And uh, yeah, so of course that's, you know, I needed a, I needed people around me and just thankfully they're, there were, but um, I was lucky as well that I got a call to move over to Italy if I wanted to work there. And that was sort of a breath of fresh air that I needed just to get away from Ireland and sort of get away from the situation and um, start my life anew and uh, sort of figure out my own my own path. So that's what I did when I was 22, moved over there. Yeah. And t- tell us a bit more about that experience. You know, you're still a young guy, albeit you'd been in a professional setup for a while and you went over then to, to coach in Italy. Tell us a wee bit about that experience. What was that initial experience like of going over a completely new culture at the age of 22 and then getting into this coaching role? Yeah, absolutely loved it. Like it was honestly everything. Uh, I mean, apart from playing, it was everything I could have asked for in terms of um the work in terms of meeting new people in terms of sort of the where the club was at it was a young club looking to develop and all this sort of stuff so it was really exciting and you know challenging at the same time because it was the first time myself and my girlfriend and my wife were living together uh so that's sort of a double whammy because there's that and then there's the living abroad on top of that so it's, it's tough and learning the language, learning how the Italians do different things, you know, shops been closed for three hours in the afternoon and you're just going, what is going on here? And, you know, how can you only eat a, a, a brioche or a croissant with a cup of, you know, with an espresso for breakfast and, you know, <laughs> you're not starving, all this sort of stuff. So, um, but it was amazing. It was just a breath of fresh air. It was exactly what I needed. And it was just somewhere like rugby in, in that particular region. It's uh, the region is called Friuli Venezia Giulia, which is right up north. And it's not traditionally a big rugby region. So for me, it was actually just fantastic because you just were learning things at the basic level. And I was learning the Italian at the basic level um, and sort of improving the whole time. And it was just good meeting new people and seeing how rugby is seen uh, in different ways um, and, and how it's seen over there. So no, absolutely loved it. Yeah. And I suppose like growing up, coming out of school and going into Leinster Academy, you have that identity in and around Dublin and that Irish rugby is a bubble. You know, Ireland's not a big place and everyone you bump into will be aware of your story. And this is in, in who was destined for big things and, and then had his career cut short. It must have been great to escape from that. And um, But uh, as I said at the beginning, you're a guy who's very passionate about rugby and uh, want to talk about how you then transitioned back in. And a couple of things I heard are about sort of key decisive moments and conversations you had, in particular with your brother. Uh, and another thing uh, is Nevin Spence, an Ulster um, player who, who tragically died in a farming accident. And um, tell us a wee bit more about the role that those things had, the ability to open up your brother and be open uh, in those conversations and, and also the impact that the death of, of Nevin, who um, 
who was coming through the ranks for Ulster in Ireland as well. How did those uh, factors play into your decision to transition back into playing? Yeah, I suppose I'll start with Nevins first. Um, obviously, for people listening in, he he needs no introduction. His family no, need no introduction. I had the <clears throat> absolute honour and privilege of playing with him, playing against him, um, rooming with him on a few occasions. Um, you're never going to meet, well, certainly in my experience, as tough a player. And I'm sure that's probably a, a common thing you're going to hear about him and um so tough and, and honest um so whenever i moved over to italy it was about maybe six weeks into it and i got a phone call to say that there was this family tragedy that happened and just like your heart sinks you just can't until you read it in a, in a news outlet you just you, you can't comprehend it um so i you know i was as i said really happy in my job but at the same time, there was just the other side of me that was just going, I just want to keep playing. I mean, that's who I am. That is honestly what I believe I was born to to do was to play uh, this game. I really do believe that. And uh, there's Nevin, who's never going to get another opportunity. And he was he was 21, was he 22? I can't remember the exact age, but, you know, he, he there he is. He's never going to get another opportunity. And here I am with, uh, yeah, lack of vision in in one eye, but I've got every other uh, part of me that's working. So basically, why are you moaning? So, I mean, that would have sat with me for a good year um, until my brother came to visit me uh, a year later. And I think I I, I really don't know why uh, I did break down in front of him. we, we would have been very close. We still are very close growing up. Um, whether it was because I hadn't seen a family member in quite a long time or um, I, I just don't know. There was a particular Leinster game that was played as well, which might have triggered it. Um, and I just cried in front of him and, and cried and cried and cried and told him my woes. And he listened. And thank God I did, because if I didn't, I don't know where my life would have would have gone. He has gone uh, gone on record saying many a time, and, and I'll say it again and again and again, that he's gone above and beyond um, what any sibling should ever have to do. And he basically put his head down and, and tried to think outside the box as to you know what can be done for Ian. And ultimately, we got talking with uh, World Rugby, or they were known as the IRB back then, and so world rugby now and um basically there was the concept of rugby goggles that was in the in the pipeline but nothing uh, was really established or happening so thankfully we're probably a little bit stubborn on our part many meetings um and uh, i think a manufacturing company was found and it just so happened to be in of all places in a city called bologna which was four hours from where i was living in italy we were thinking we were going to have to go to different places around the world but we just went to went to Bologna and they were manufacturing rugby eye protection so it was perfect for me because I wasn't looking to enhance my vision uh, at the time um, I know that would have taken a lot more of a sort of a much more in-depth approach whereas we I just needed something to protect my eyes um, so yeah rugby goggles became available and they became available for adults like me who have a visual impairment and if you want to protect your eye 
uh, or children who need corrective lenses but can't put them in. So there's an extra piece that you can put in so that they're able to see a lot more. And yeah, they came in, came available in 2014, picked up one of the first pairs and started playing again. And that would have been three years after I'd retired. So I would have been 24 and that was playing at sort of a very uh, moderate, <laughs> uh, casual, social level uh, of rugby. So it was, it was with the team that I was coaching uh, at the time. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, guys literally with cigarettes hanging out the side of their mouth, you know, <laughs> tackling them. <laughs> that's, that's rugby at its absolute best, yeah, I think. Your <laughs> rugby, I think we'll call it, you know, uh, you, you could have got away with it maybe in the 60s, 70s, 80s, but heading, heading into, you know, what was it, 2014 at the time, a bit more tricky. So, uh, but that was my f- first experience of, you know, of one of my last last experiences, or well, my last game was the day after the Heineken Cup final in 2011. So I was on the pitch with the trophy and all that sort of stuff doing the lap of honour. So to go from that sort of last uh, rugby memory to then the next one of kicking a ball uh, on a ridiculously muddy field with uh, a few casual people watching was uh was certainly different but i i enjoyed that experience immensely yeah and your your path certainly hasn't been straightforward you know um we started off with with you in the back garden sort of dreaming of playing international rugby for ireland and um a spoiler alert in does end up playing international rugby but for uh for italy in the end so like that's a big jump and uh uh, from, from playing at this sort of club level, people with cigarettes hanging out of their mouth, to, to playing for the national team. Tell us, fill in the gap there. Tell us how, how did that happen and how quick was that sort of transition upwards uh, from from the, that level right up to, to playing at the top level in Italy and then for, for Italy? Yeah, so I think that level that I was playing at was, you know, I, I knew that that wasn't the level that I wanted to obviously continue at. So it was just a, you know, to see over a 10 game period, which I think is what we had, um, how I was feeling physically, mentally, how comfortable I was with the goggles. And like, I was just chomping at the bit just to get back to a high level. And I really felt that my skill set was, was good. And it's why my brother pursued the, the whole goggles thing because when he came to visit me you know kids would be getting me to ping the corner flags with kicks and grubbers or passes you hit the crossbar from the halfway line and I was able to do it so he was like right well this guy he can he can still do you know what he did previously it's taken maybe a few years for his eye to recover um even though things are still difficult with hand-eye coordination and that sort of thing but generally you've you got back um uh, a fair amount so I I knew I needed to find a new club and to go up the ladder but I knew sort of not the time was against me but when you're 24 you know you you I just didn't want to lose any more time so I wasn't happy to settle for a team that was maybe one league or two leagues above tried to get to the highest club level in Italy which I, I did I got signed by a team there called Viadana I was there for a couple of years um then I subsequently ended up during the World Cup, you know, playing for Zebre uh, on a couple of occasions whenever some of their frontliners were away in the World Cup. So that was sort of my in to try and showcase, you know, uh, with the goggles that you can play at a fully professional level, even though the Italian league is, you know, is classed as professional, but there are some semi-professional teams and players. 
Um, and I just got signed by by Bennett and Treviso. So obviously there's two main teams. One is Zebre Parma and the other is Bennett and Treviso in Italy who compete in the same, you know, for people who may not know, I'm sure majority of people listening to this will know, but they, you know, compete in the same league as Ulster and Munster and, and, and all that sort of stuff. So I just got signed by by Treviso, who traditionally would be um, sort of the heartbeat of, of Italian rugby. And so I was delighted to go to that club because for that reason, I just stated uh, sort of history and, and everything like that, but also because um, they'd actually finished bottom um, just before uh, or just as I was arriving uh, the season before. So I knew that um, with the players that were being brought in and the coaching staff, the team was only going to go one way. So, uh, yeah, just started playing with Treviso and there's the three-year residency rule. Um, now, a lot of people think that I went over and actually, interestingly, ask, I mean, I'm assuming you went over to move to Italy to play for Italy. It was never cro- It never crossed my mind because if that was the case, I would have been eligible for the 2015 World Cup. So I didn't become eligible for Italy until 2017. And that was when Conor O'Shea, uh, you know, famous uh, Irishman, Conor O'Shea, has worked over in England for many, many years. He was coach of Italy and he'll always be the, the coach that gave me my uh, my international debut and, uh, yeah, ended up playing for Italy. So, as you said, dreams of wearing a green jersey, singing Ireland's Call or whatever, uh, have very much changed uh, or shifted to wearing a blue jersey and singing um, the Italian national anthem, Fratelli dell'Italia. Um, and that was just as much of a proud moment as anything for all the work that had gone into uh, the goggles, the goggle campaign, because there was certain countries I couldn't play in with the goggles. So um, all the people that sort of supported me during that so it, it didn't really feel like it was just me on the pitch it was me representing a whole uh sort of visually impaired community you know your family your friends and, and all the people that helped you break down barriers along the way yeah incredible incredible story and look it's 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 almost like out of a movie i, I mean you need to you need to sell movie rights to someone because uh Oh, I know you, you, the book is you, enough. Uh, yeah. book. <laughs> Maybe adapt that at some stage. You need to think of an actor to play. That's the next uh, step. <laughs> uh, but look, in terms in terms of that story, incredible. You you've lived through it, but you know there'll be people hearing this in detail for the first time. And um, remarkable determination. Look, there must have been times uh, throughout your career, even before the injury, you get told you can't do this. It's it's unrealistic. Uh, forget about it. There's multiple opportunities over the years that you had many excuses to quit tell us about why you didn't quit tell us about your support network and the difference that has made to you over the years yeah my my brother's been really important to this story this journey my life obviously everyone else my wife my my mom and dad and everyone my other siblings and friends have been so important but think that's you know if people read the read the story or or look up you know anything online they'll they'll see really how important he he has been and when i said you know whenever something bad happens you really understand the people that are that are there for you and the sort of pouring of love and uh and emotion so like i mean i just consider myself very very 
fortunate uh, i'm also very stubborn <laughs> like you, you 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 say i'm i'm nice i am potentially but i i like to win i like uh, i don't accept um you know no for an answer on certain things you know you have to push the boat on on some things and if we just settled on certain decisions from other organizations or anything you know we'd probably still be at square one at you know at, at the moment so I have real goals and aspirations to play international rugby. That was my my thing. And, um, you know, I'm fortunate enough that I achieved it. Yes, has it come in different circumstances? Absolutely. But I'm, have I been fully committed to that? Yes. Am I, uh, you know, do I support Italian rugby 100%? I would love to go back and um, work there in the future. I, I, you know, my heart is still very much there. Um and I owe a huge amount to, to them. You know, Italy gets a huge amount of stick for obvious reasons. I mean, I've been part of Six Nations, you know, the Six Nations slump and, and 30 plus games that, that hadn't been won. And, you know, it's a very difficult position to be in. But it's, you know, we're also competing against teams that are, you know, of a very high standard. And But I do see a huge amount of potential and players that come out of Italy that are fantastic. It's... Um, you know, so I'm I'm hugely passionate about about them, and um, you know, again, I think that's just part of the reason why I want the story to to be out there because you know, you 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 really you really can achieve things. You know, you just there's just an awful lot of hard work. You need a little bit of luck involved as well, and uh, things to to go for you. But you 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 can achieve things, and especially in 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 these times now that we've overcome. Or we've gotten through the, the the hard part of COVID. I think you see the resilience of of people and everything like that. So uh, whenever backs are against the wall, you can you can really see uh, you can really see sort of what you know human nature it, it, it is like. So um, I've just been very fortunate in that sense to have that support network and to to help me uh, fulfil the the dream. Yeah, and, and you talk there about uh, about the importance of having a, a support network and. Look, in terms of um, in terms of what you've done, uh, you're, you're someone who, who's, I think, a bit reluctant. I get the sense to to talk all that much about yourself, or or probably initially to to tell this story. And it's great that you've you've come out to do this and inspire people because I suppose rugby at its best is a game for everyone, um, and it's known for that—a game for all shapes and sizes and and different abilities and. What does it feel like they've inspired so many people, not just those who have suffered sight loss, but those who have issues which mean uh, the question whether or not they belong in a rugby pitch? Yeah, well, you hit the nail on the head that rugby is for everyone. It, it needs to be. Um, I think when you're in the professional bubble, you in you really are in a very small percentage. Um, and I suppose I'm lucky that I've experienced both sides of it. Um, and like even the work, so I do a fair amount of work with sort of visually impaired teams, um, you know, in different countries at the moment. And, and, and that's, you know, visually impaired and the mixed ability and that's inspiring. You know, that's the other, the other side of it. It's, it's getting people out. It's getting people to participate whenever rugby doesn't have exactly a fantastic, um, image at the moment with concussion and all these, um, studies that are coming out, which are, you know, obviously, worrying for for players health and everything you 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 want to try and create a safe environment for uh for players and get people to enjoy the game and and 
take what are the greatest values of it and and that really is participation friendship um, camaraderie and even discipline it's given you know if i'm to just speak on experience it's given me uh direct direction in life uh, it still gives me direction in life it uh you can tap back into things that uh, you've been taught along the way and try and implement them maybe into some parts of your own life whenever you you do stop and uh, the life's stopped again you can you can you can tap into a few of those things so uh, you would just want people to experience the 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 massive highs that you get from uh, being in a group and being with a team and and everything like that and and it's very very rugby is unique in 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 that sense that you need all different shapes and sizes to create this team um and so if you have a visual impairment or if you've got some other uh, difficulties that you can still partake in the sport to uh, to a, a very good level and Listen, I would I would hope uh, there are visually impaired players that play. There are visually impaired people that are playing professionally that I know of. They may or may not use the the goggles, but um, you know it's fantastic to for them to you know create their own path and try and push boundaries and push numbers more so than than what I've done. Um, I would just hope that I've given some sort of a, an opening uh, to show that other people can can. Uh, can lead the way basically yeah well I, I know I know you've been an inspiration to many people and sort of on that note uh, look, looking back and you probably had a bit of a chance now to reflect in your career and think about the uh, trajectory that things uh, could have taken and, and they ended up working out well you had a great career in rugby you've inspired many people this is a difficult question but if you could go back in time and change anything would you with, with knowing what you know now and where you're at, you're you're seem happy, content. Um, uh, you're you're now in this position where you're able to inspire other people. Would you, if you go back in a, in a time machine, would you change anything about about your life or, or career? Um, yeah, it's a good question. You don't you don't know. Uh, I sort of would have got annoyed with people. They would would have said, you know, oh, if your injury didn't happen, you 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 probably would have played for Ireland. There's no guarantees. You, you've got, you know, some seriously talented rugby players who are playing provincial rugby in Ireland who, uh, you know, have either never been capped by Ireland or have less than 10 caps. It's, um, you could have picked up another injury. It's all ifs and buts. So, you know, all I know is that sort of the second, <laughs> second part of my uh, career has been, unbelievable and I, I really wouldn't change anything about that because the people that I've met along the way the things that I find myself getting involved uh, in and with because of what happened has really uh, excuse the pun but has opened up my eyes to all the other different qualities that rugby has um, and should embody in, in society. So uh, from that standpoint, um, you know, do I find things difficult? Absolutely. Driving can be an absolute nightmare from, to be honest. Um, or I bump into people a lot of the time in busy places, whether it's a shopping center or the airport or, uh, you know, knock over my son from time to time or, you know, so things like that are very frustrating and, it was always frustrating with the goggles uh, trying to, you know, constantly work on your uh, hand-eye coordination. That was a constant uh, battle and all that sort of thing. But everything sort of outside of 
that you know in terms of the technicality stuff it's 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 given me peace because i think if if i didn't have this opportunity to play again i'd be a probably a very bitter person which is not, not where you want to be so i'm very much now that i've retired uh, retired again at 31 which is still relatively young um but i can you know rest easy with that decision that i've managed to you know, a half blind goggle wearing out half. If if he can get to international rugby, I can rest easy at that. But <laughs> I would have maybe liked a few more points or trophies or something like that. But we we don't always get to dictate our fairy tale ending. I think only a very small percentage do. And I I've been able to bow out at the highest level that I can get at, and that's uh, considering from where I was. I think I'll take that. Absolutely, and look, I mean, you've had a, an incredible journey a bumpy journey in, in many ways uh, more, more than most but I remember seeing an article a while, a while back I can't remember what under 20s team it was but I looked at an Ireland under 20s team and, and tracked where they're at now and you know it's actually a pretty small proportion of them were still playing this is maybe a team from uh, eight or nine years ago just injuries uh, uh, things that happen or just it doesn't work out for people and look, for a guy who had such a traumatic injury it I mean, unbelievable what you've achieved in the game. And one, one of the listener questions, Mike Murray uh, uh, messaged, I think he's thinking of hanging up his boots himself. And uh, he, he asked the question, how did you know time was up in your playing career? How did you come to that decision to hang up your boots? I don't think I'll ever be ready. Like that's, uh, and that's the honest answer. Like, I think you ask me when I'm 50, could you still play? I probably think I I, I, I could. Um <laughs> For me, whenever I went back playing, it was a, uh, so with the goggles, it was sort of a, uh, whenever the day was coming, even though I was never really thinking of it, but, you know, I knew when I started again, that the one thing I wasn't able to do was determine my first retirement. And that was taken completely out of my hands. Whereas this one has been all under my control and, yeah, there are days where I where I look and go, God, you know, I'd love to be out there again. But sort of, you know, reality sits in. If you're not training like a professional, you're 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 not going to be up to up to much of a standard. So um, it's 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 one of the most it is the most difficult thing any sports person will have to do is ultimately uh, know when their body gives up, if their mind gives up. Mine is potentially slightly different that I just wanted to stop on my own terms and um, I felt like that I probably had given as much as I could to the goggles they'd been the only regret maybe is that they didn't make it to the world cup well they did with Artie Savea but they didn't make it you know on my head and you know that would probably be the only thing but you know every other competition they've sort of um they've uh, made an appearance so um that's sort of good exposure for other people and uh, and that sort of thing so uh, but i'm 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 at like total peace like if i go to a rugby game now i'm not angry whereas my first retirement i would have i didn't even watch rugby when i first retired if i'm to be honest um and I was actually forced to go to a game uh, because there was a surprise birthday party for me <laughs> being held at it. Uh, I didn't. I was tricked into going, and I, I despised every minute of the game. Like I hated it. I couldn't even watch it. So the fact of being able to go to a game now where I'm at total peace, I think, is is the one of the biggest things, one of the biggest success successes out of it, and the biggest gift that my my family have given me. 
Yeah, and I'm so glad to hear that that you're content and you're at peace now with um, where you're at in life and, and with your career and everything that you've achieved, and, and rightly so, because um, uh, it's it's an, an incredible and inspirational um, example of someone who can push the boundaries of what's possible and inspire other people to do similar. So I think that's amazing. And just as we finish here, uh, I want to know a bit, a bit about what you're doing now and as a coach, are you enjoying that? And any plans for the future as well? You've got this book. I'm sure that will occupy most of your time talking to people like me over the next few while, but um, tell us about your plans for the future as well. Yeah. I mean, I want to be involved in sport as much as possible. I, I, I don't think I can make that any clearer. I, I would not be good sitting behind a desk nine to five. Um, so at the moment I'm coaching a team up in the north here called Rainy Old Boys. So it's, you know, it comes with its challenges and its joys as well. Um, it's certainly different to playing. You're you're not in control <laughs> at all whenever the whistle goes, which is sort of very hard because when you're in an out half position, you might be able to determine sort of the speed of, of the game, whether it's fast or slow, depending on how it's going. So um, certainly there are uh, challenges, but I'm coaching there. And as I said, working with different um, visually impaired and mixed ability teams. And I would hope to, to continue that in the future. I would I would love to get back into the professional game as a, as a coach, but I never wanted to go straight from being a player straight into coaching. Um, I just think it's good to try and get back to a bit of grassroots uh, level and maybe try and, you're obviously not going to train the same as a professional team, but maybe try and impart maybe some words of, of wisdom or different ways of uh, of doing things. So I would love to, in the future, uh, you know, get into the coaching and I'm just going to have all my badges and qualifications and all that. So it's just about learning and maybe learning from different sports as well. That's uh, now that sort of COVID has sort of gone the last year or so, you know, you try and maybe follow a team and follow different sports and try and pick up different things. So I think it's, it's, it's going back to being uh, that 18, 19 year old rugby player, uh, but now as a 32 year old coach uh, trying to just be a sponge and pick up as much as you can and, and learn. Yeah. I love that. I love that attitude. And I love, um, I love your determination as well. And, and desire to 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 sort of compete to, uh, at whatever you're doing, whether that be to become the best coach or the best player. And uh, look, our, our chat has been inspirational, and I'm sure people listening will find that inspiring and and fascinating story. And like this book coming out, um, I can't wait to get my hands on it. I haven't actually read it. I have just followed Ian's career, and I'm not just saying that. I've always always find what you've done inspiring. So, uh, what a, what a pleasure it's been to, to speak to you and. Um, thank you for your time today. I oh, appreciate it. Thanks a lot. I want to introduce the Red Hand listeners to a fantastic business who support the podcast. Hill Fitness is Northern Ireland's leading home gym equipment provider. Whether you're a total beginner buying your first weight set or a strength training veteran creating your dream home gym, Hill Fitness have you covered. From dumbbells to squat racks, gym flooring to exercise bikes, Hill Fitness have everything you need and more. The Red Hand listeners can receive an exclusive discount of 5% off their first order in-store or online. Just use code RED5, all caps, at the checkout. Check them out at hillfitnessuk.co.uk. That's discount code RED5, all capitals, for 5% off your first order at hillfitnessuk.co.uk. Hill Fitness make amazing home gyms happen.